Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! Straight out of Copenhagen, this week we're chatting with Paul Kim, a founding director of IOCSF and currently director of Danish vocal jazz group Dynamic, about Denmark's response to COVID and how his professional and community groups have responded to the pandemic. Hey, joining us today on the podcast is Paul Kim. Paul Kim is currently living just outside of Copenhagen, working as a freelance choir director and church singer in the local church. Uh, His main gigs right now are two chamber choirs, an amateur opera company, a professional jazz vocal band, which is called Dynamic, we'll talk more about that later, and a series of gospel workshops, along with helping out the music director at the local church. Uh, He's sung with pretty much all of the top semi-pro choirs in Copenhagen. And uh, he's been there in Denmark for about 10 years now. But before that, which is where I met him, he lived in San Francisco and at that time was a director for IOCSF, the Chalice Consort, and also the assistant director for the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. Paul received his Master's of Music and Choral Conducting from San Francisco State University under the tutelage of Dr. Joshua Haberman, who we did talk to just recently. And in a past life, Paul was a programmer and project manager and studied electrical engineering and computer science at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Paul. Did I miss anything? No, that sounds pretty comprehensive. Great Great to be here, Zane. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Paul, it's so good to have you. It was quite a year. What's what's something you learned about yourself as a choir director and as a musician in 2020 that maybe surprised you? Uh, some of the things that I learned. Um, well, first of all, I found out that there's uh, some skills that I needed to have as a choir director that I didn't realize that I needed to have before, which is uh, putting together some videos for my choir. And uh, uh, so I had to edit those things together. Then I found out how to sort of shoot some videos for my choir as well. And uh, and then just be a video choir director uh, from time to time, uh, find out uh, how that's different from uh, actually just standing in front of a group of people and, and helping them sing. Uh, it's a completely different uh, sort of mindset and skill set uh, to be able to try and make a choir continue to function uh, online, as they say. It's a bit, a bit of a literal trial by fire, right? You sort of have to learn. Yeah, because there sure was. Because no other options. Uh, we were, it's funny, we were talking yesterday about um, Schutz and where sort of lots of these random compositions would come from for like two French horns and a oboe and a sack butt. And we're like, what? <laughs> why in the world would you choose that? And it turns out that it was um, because it was sort of in the midst of a plague or something where it was yeah. literally the only instrumentalists he had. Right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, great, you people are still alive and we'll figure something out. <laughs> in the face yep. of adversity. Also, uh, uh, Messiaen had a bunch of uh, interesting uh, chamber ensembles also because of uh, World War II, where oh, that yeah. was the players that he had. Uh, uh, the wars the wars and the plagues, uh, adversity has really brought out some uh, 
extra creativity from the people that uh, survived through them and uh, continued to flourish. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that uh, I've been able to do, uh, because uh, some of my work has been canceled still, uh, mm -hmm. canceled or, or just uh, on hiatus. So uh, I have a little more free time than I, I used to have. And uh, certainly I have a lot more time at home because uh, some of the things that I do are not, uh, you know, they're, they're from home now. So I have less appointments. Uh, so uh, some of the re resolutions that I've made are to uh, improve some skills that I always wanted to have. Like I uh, started to sort of self-teach my, uh, myself uh, drums <laughs> oh. uh, just to improve my, uh, my rhythmic sensibility. And uh, then uh, I also uh, uh, got into video making, uh, partly from uh, having to create some videos for my choirs. And, um, and I thought I'd get uh, a lot further into that. And then uh, I just have a sort of a, a C priority resolution to attack my C priority list, <laughs> which has been C priority for like so many years now. And uh, I was looking at the, you know, I was just thinking about what are some of the things that I've been kicking down the road for, for year after year. And this is, this is the year to actually get them done. Yeah. Playing, playing drums was one of them actually. <laughs> That's wild. Like drum set. Like uh, right now I've, I've actually set up a cajon with uh, some cymbals and a kick, kick pedal so that I can have it be all sort of in miniature. But, cool. uh, but I play, I don't play anything cajon like I've basically just been using the cajon to simulate having a full kit and then just trying to, uh, uh incorporate that into, uh, when my wife is practicing guitar, when she's uh, singing and doing some stuff like that. That's awesome. I, I want to get a cajon, actually. It's on my list of musical instruments to add to my collection. Because when, yeah. I, was, when I was first, you know, I started as a piano player when I was very young. At like four years old, my mom started me playing piano and taking lessons. And then when I got to elementary school and you reach that grade where they're like, okay, it's time to join the band and you got to pick a band instrument. Um, I wanted to play the drums. And so I told my mom, oh, I, yeah. I want to be a drummer. I want to play the drums. So I got a little practice pad and a pair of sticks, but I just, my, my parents didn't, uh, didn't push me down the road uh, with a teacher or anything right away. <clears throat> and I just didn't uh, pursue it. And so I became a trumpet player instead, but I've always wanted to play the drums and I've tried, but I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't quite have the four limb coordination for a full kit. Not quite. Oh, it, uh, for some things I sound like I'm, you know, I can at least competently hold down a medium swing, but man, for, for some Latin stuff, it really, it literally sounds like it's four people in the room <laughs> that can't see or hear each other just trying to play something. So it's like four people playing <laughs> drums over Zoom. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Hilarious. Oh my God. So Paul, I mean, this, this is probably pretty obvious for some of the folks who are listening, but, um, your need to sort of learn the video sort of technology and streaming technology mm -hmm. to what end? Why were you sort of learning all of these new tools? What were you using all of the new video editing tools for? Well, uh, one of the first things that I saw uh, uh, when the pandemic hit was that uh, a lot of people started uh, creating those, uh, you know, multi-head uh, uh, Brady Bunch style uh, choir videos with a, uh, a bunch of floating heads uh, synchronized to sing something together. I and I thought, well, I should, I should figure out. 
Yeah, so I should figure out how to do that too. And uh, so I, I started downloading some uh, some software and uh, experimenting around with the cameras that I had. I figured out how to do that and uh, probably would like to do something with a little bit higher quality camera and a little bit higher quality audio. Here's a bit of audio from one of these new video projects. Let's listen to a bit of dynamic performing. Watch what happens. And so uh, one thing led to another to try and figure out uh, just how to get uh, the videos to look a little slicker. And then I realized, oh, I can actually make actual videos of my choirs and, uh, and of my jazz group instead of uh, just having the Brady Bunch style. And uh, so that's sort of where I am right now, just starting, just starting my little journey on trying to figure out uh, how to make uh, music videos. So I created a few for one of the choirs that I, uh, that I conduct, and then I've... Uh, We've started to shoot some different videos for my jazz group, and uh, we're in the process of figuring out how to edit the footage together right now. How do you feel about the Brady Bunch style virtual choir? I mean, now that you've like been it. through it, yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's, uh, uh, you know, there's, a, as with a lot of things, there's a massive spectrum of quality uh, that you can have. And uh, as with also a lot of things, to do something at a really high quality requires a lot more effort and a lot more organization. Uh, but I'm starting to see also evidence of that as well, where at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, just any bunch of heads that would show up on the screen singing something that was sort of the same was good enough and everybody was happy about that. As the technology and the skill level has uh, increased, uh, throughout uh, the competency has increased throughout the pandemic so has the expectation and so uh, i think now people are expecting something better and better and the and the organization is getting better and better oh zane um let's see i know that the uh, international orange corral is working on that uh, uh the latest virtual choir video and i think that's a a huge step forward just from what i've seen of the organization from the previous uh, virtual choir video Oh, yeah. And I have also seen that uh, experienced uh, with Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. I was a part of uh, uh, their most recent uh, virtual choir video as well. Which, That's so uh, cool. I, yeah. Aside from that, uh, the Interfaith Gospel Choir, are there any other um, perform virtual choir performances that you've seen that you're particularly impressed by? Well, first of all, uh, the one of the top groups who are doing this kind of stuff in uh, Denmark is uh, the... Danish Radio Girls Chorus, oh. and uh, the Danish Radio Girls Chorus has been doing um, a lot of really nice videos where they've uh, just put together, you know, all the members on the screen. And uh, maybe it's just because the girls are a little more hip to how to record themselves correctly on a phone that it looks looks and sounds a little bit better than uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> when you get a group of adults to do it for the first time ever. <laughs> Here's the Danish Radio Girls Chorus from their live Midsommar concert, performing Kere Farmor, Dear Grandma, lyrics and music by Sis Biera and arranged by Nenia Zenana. Yes, love, 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 love,
I was going to say, I imagine that your your musicians, as um, jazz musicians and, and vocalists who are maybe a little bit more comfortable with studio recording, might have a little bit of a leg up in the same way that the, you know, the the Danish girls' choir. They're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm totally comfortable putting a camera in my face. How did your singers respond to the project? Did you see a steeper learning curve with some groups versus others? Um. So my singers, actually, uh, the virtual choir videos that I've made for my group so far have actually been only my wife and I singing a choir, a whole choir where we would just record ourselves four times and uh, uh, eight times rather. And then I use those videos as tools to help instruct my choir on how to learn something and also as uh, a tool for them to feel like they're actually singing in a choir uh, so they would just sing along with a video of of my wife and I singing all the parts of uh, several of a few different uh, choir songs. Uh, so that was pretty early on in the pandemic to just sort of uh, tie people over to uh, get them to feel like they're they're participating in something musical that has harmony. You know, that's one of the big things about the pandemic is that uh, uh, before then, uh, choir directing and just being in a choir was about getting together and sort of feeling the sensation of vocal harmony to get uh, you know with other people and through your body and and uh, there's a lot of sort of subconscious tuning that happens when you're when you line your voice up with what you're hearing and and uh, and I'm, uh, those uh, subconscious tunings give you that sort of euphoric choir feeling yeah. uh, they give you some sort of uh, dopamine dopamine rush or whatever it is uh, but then with the pandemic, that all changed. You don't get that experience anymore. So you somehow have to figure out how to recreate some semblance of those uh, of that choir experience. And so the first thought that I had in my mind was, well, it's 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 about harmony. So I'll make I'll make all the harmonies, and then they sing along with the harmony and mm -hmm. uh, and kind of feel that. But then uh, then it made me really think, well, why are people? It, it really forced me to take a step back and say, why are people actually in this? group why are people singing and uh why am i singing why do i like to sing in choir yeah. and uh besides just the rush of getting together and making vocal harmony uh, because since i can't do that i have to figure out what other things are making people motivated to be in choir and try and tailor my sort of online uh, choir directing to those needs uh, and at first uh, I was thinking, well, let's see, they probably like the challenge of uh, learning something, but they also want to kind of imp improve their voice. They want to, uh, they want to be entertained uh, and they want uh, 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 some outlet for their creativity. So, uh, so at first my uh, online choir conducting uh, sessions were a lot about entertainment where I would just have a lot of uh, backstories about the composers or about the pieces or about my own experiences. And then I also did a lot of voice building things where we actually had, I spent a lot more time on warmups and a lot more time on actual uh, uh, instruction for how, how to sing and mm -hmm. how to 
uh, breathe and how to make your voice uh, uh, stable and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so that was the early, early times. Um, but now we're getting a, a little bit further into uh, the sophistication of the technology to try and get back into a making music uh, situation. Paul, maybe to, to step back for a sec. Um, you mentioned, we mentioned earlier that you're, you're in Copenhagen. So obviously in, yep. in Denmark, paint a picture for our listeners of what the pandemic looked like for you and particularly for the music scene uh, in Denmark. Well, um, the pandemic hits Denmark on March 11th. I, I didn't hit Denmark on March 11th, but uh, on March 11th, there was a national uh, press conference where the prime minister essentially locked down the country. And uh, already on March 11th, uh, we had had, I had heard from uh, some of my uh, colleagues about a pretty well-known choir in Denmark that got struck down by COVID. The, uh, at that time, already the uh, director of that choir was in the hospital uh, uh, fighting for his life. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, half the members were, were sick uh, in ver to various degrees uh, with the uh, with COVID, and um, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't big national news. I just knew it because I knew the conductor and I knew some of the members of that choir. But everything everything just stopped, and you know everybody had concerts uh, ready to go. I was actually uh, uh, getting ready to conduct uh, Brahms Requiem, oh, wow. um, and uh, we had to postpone that. Uh, or cancel all the concerts, really. Uh, yeah, so choir life just completely shut down. And then the only big question there uh, was uh, whether choir directors were going to continue to get paid and whether professional musicians were going to continue to get paid. Uh, but the government uh, came through with a lot of uh, aid packages uh, to keep uh, people at least uh, paid through the spring. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but, uh, but the shutdown in... Uh, in Denmark was pretty early by uh, European standards and it stayed shut down for about a month. And then uh, they opened the schools again in mid April. And the, then the numbers just kept on getting lower and lower so that by the summer, everything was sort of normal again. All the restaurants were open, everything was open, everything was operating totally normally. And uh, every choir had sort of canceled their season, the rest of their season. Mm -hmm. But then uh, at the beginning of uh, the fall, all the choirs, just uh, most of the choirs that could get back together, uh, all the uh, boards made some decisions about whether how to start the season, where to start the season, and uh, and then a lot of the choirs did. I got to imagine that there's some mixed emotions about that. I mean, enthusiastic maybe in the fall to feel like, oh, maybe we can get back together, but maybe a shred of concern still. Oh, sure, there was plenty of concern. Um, because uh, around the world, uh, in most places, the numbers were not uh, abating very much. Right. Um, but in Denmark, it was really low. And also, at the end of March, there came out that, that big news story from Skagit, Washington, yeah. uh, about the big coronavirus outbreak in that choir. And I think there was also an, a story of one in Amsterdam. And then there was also another story of a choir in Denmark that gave a concert and, uh, and a lot of members of the choir, as well as the audience, got infected. And then I found out about yet another choir in Denmark. And so, uh, so it was pretty clear that uh, 
singing in close proximity was a, a no-go. Right. So if you're asking me about how, uh, how it felt at the beginning, yeah, I was uh, sent on a mission uh, with uh, one of the board members uh, to basically evaluate all the biggest public rooms in the township that the choir is based to find out if any of those rooms were big enough for the choir to actually meet uh, at a safe enough distance to right. start singing. And that's with the backdrop of there being virtually, I mean, very, very few cases in Denmark at that time. So we looked around and uh, and there was one room that was big enough. It was like, you know, the size of a basketball uh, basketball court. Uh-huh. And, um, and this is for how many musicians in that size? This was for a choir of 35. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking to Josh Haberman about the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, uh, or sorry, Dallas Symphony Chorus, and when they were doing the same kind of thing, like how big a space, he just did it for fun, but how much space would we need? And it turned out they needed to, they would need to rehearse or sing at the Cowboys Stadium for a yeah. choir of their <laughs> size, like but that's for 220 yeah. singers, but still, right. it was like, you know, when he did the math, it was like, oh yeah, we just have to go and, and talk to Jerry Jones and we'll just go sing at yeah. Cowboy <laughs> Stadium. It'll be fine. <laughs> but I was really nervous those first few rehearsals. First couple of rehearsals, I was like, man, uh, because we had been so careful up until my family and I, uh, uh, we had been uh, uh, very careful from the beginning of the lockdown up until that moment. And then it, suddenly t- to feel like, okay, well, we're pulling the trigger here and we're going to get 35 people into a big room. I was, you know, a really big room. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and try and sing together. And it had really high ceilings and everything with lots of windows. And uh, I was really nervous. But then uh, as the season went on and all the choirs opened up in a similar way, there was like all the, you know, all the big theaters and auditoriums and basketball courts and stuff like that, they were all taken up by choirs <laughs> rehearsing <Yeah. laughs> in their new space. And uh, we didn't hear about anything. And so people started uh, just sort of feeling a little more comfortable with it. And then they all, after several rehearsals, started to focus a little more on the music and a little less on what we're doing, uh, yeah. you know, whether we're doing something really risky. And what are the state of things now in January? Are, still, are things still in this sort of state where they're mostly open with some precautions or did things? Uh, nope. Uh, what happened was uh, in the early part of December, uh, the numbers uh, got to such a state in Denmark that uh, they had to close everything down again. Mm-hmm. And so we went, uh, we went back to lockdown. All the choirs kind of canceled the rest of their seasons. Anybody that had concerts in November was uh, kind of lucky and able to do that. But uh, at the beginning of December, the Danish radio national uh, sort of the large choir, the symphonic chorus of the Mm -hmm. Danish radio orchestra, which is uh, 60-something professional singers, uh, 46 of them got COVID from a series of rehearsals, and they rehearse in the... They rehearse in the big concert hall. So they, yeah. they rehearse in, in, a, in a huge space where they take up, they sit where the audience sits. So mm-hmm. they sit in a, in a gigantic area yeah. uh, in, in all the audience seats behind the, uh, behind the orchestra. Sure. Uh, so 46 out of them, something like two-thirds to three-quarters of the choir got wow. COVID. Whoa. And so everybody just stopped immediately. Yeah. 
And that was uh, that was the first big choir story uh, relating to uh, COVID infection uh, to get public in Denmark. And uh, and so uh, there's nothing to do. Yeah. Wow. And so so right now it's we're still in that situation. The numbers are not that low. Uh, it's uh, kind of comparable to the Bay Area, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, which is, I mean, the Bay Area is in in better shape than a lot of parts of the United States. In much true. better shape than Southern California, for instance. Yeah. I and Denmark is on a par. Yeah. yeah. Denmark's oh, on a good. par with the the Bay Area, so we're still just uh, uh, there's no choir activity yet. Yeah. Yeah. I was just seeing some statistics that. The Bay Area has something like 8 million people and have have only had 2,600 deaths, whereas New York has the same amount of people, but they've had 25,000 deaths. And then Southern California is like 10 million people, and they've had something like, I don't know, 10,000 deaths or something like that. So it's so, yeah, yeah. Bay Area is doing doing better, but it's still not great. You know, Paul, how are you keeping uh in touch with your colleagues at this point? I mean, I'm sure you must all be trading notes, both uh, colleagues who are there in Denmark with you and around the world. I mean, I'm sure that everyone's sort of got these different perspectives and we're all trying to piece together the story of what's actually happening. How are you able to keep in contact and, and trade notes with other directors? For the most part, uh, I find out stories uh, just from... Uh, just through the network, uh, some singer will, you know, there's a lot of people that know that I'm a choir director. So if they hear a story, they'll, they'll relay it on to me and then I'll get in contact with the person directly. And then uh, with some of my choir directing friends, uh, I just call them up once in a while and find out what's, what's going on. And uh, so I know that everybody has been in sort of a similar situation. Uh, a lot of people have gone through the video uh, mm. part of the of trying to be a choir director <laughs> and then a lot included. of people have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a lot of people have also gone through uh, uh trying to rehearse uh with uh, in a huge space and finding out what uh what challenges that presents um but mostly it's just been uh, through uh, word of mouth and then through contacting people directly, uh, just having a conversation with them. I haven't done anything organized, but what I did do was um, uh, at some point in the fall, I uh, contacted the main uh, Danish national choir what uh, organization um, called... Choir 72. I think it's because it was it was started in 1972. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I asked them, uh, uh, hey, what kind of research have you done on, uh, you know, you're, in t you're, you're actually in touch. You're sending emails out to uh, the different choirs that I conduct. And uh, you're in touch with hundreds of uh, Danish choirs. What uh, kind of research have you done about exactly how this is impacting uh, all these choirs and how uh, and whether there's been any COVID spread uh, in the choirs that has gone unreported. And they said, uh, oh, those are, that's really good, uh, good questions. We're really busy trying to put together our, our latest edition of the, of the big like uh, choir 72 collection of choir pieces that they come out with every, every few years, mm -hmm. uh, just edited together. Uh, so they said they would get uh, get on it, and then I appointed one of my board members to follow up and and stay after them. And there's been a lot of action from uh, different board members, uh, uh, just in 
contacting the uh, Ministry of Culture and contacting Choir 72 and uh, contacting, uh, creating uh, uh, things on Facebook uh, just to make sure that there is a lot of shared information. So that's how people are sort of staying in touch with what each other is doing as far as the, specifically as far as uh, the COVID precautions and, uh, and stories. And uh, like another colleague of mine, uh, actually, he sings in the Danish radio choir, and he uh, started a petition among all uh, employees of uh, the church, which includes hundreds and hundreds of uh, musicians, uh, petitioned them to uh, uh, shut down churches for Christmas, which was unheard of yeah. in Denmark. Uh, it's a, Denmark has a very strong sort of Christmas church tradition. And it gathered uh, thousands of signatures, and they ran it all the way up uh, the flagpole to uh, to the Ministry of Culture, and as well as the uh, Ministry of Churches. Um, I don't know if it was because of that petition, but uh, at the and the eleventh hour uh, on December twenty third, the uh, ministry said uh, we recommend all churches shut down, and then overnight every church shut down. So there was no Christmas. Wow. In the churches anyway. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us are missing that. Um, I mean, when we think of choral music, Christmas is the time that most people, I think, know it's yeah. the sort of when you expect it and when you really, really want it, you know, mm-hmm. um, what, a, and, what a blow. And there's some fantastic, uh, one of the first things I learned when I got here was that uh, Denmark has their own tradition of uh, really terrific Christmas songs that everybody knows. You know, just like uh, you go to any American and they can name they can name 20 different Christmas carols that they know mm-hmm. most of the words to. And same thing in Denmark, except for there's 20 songs that I'd never heard of before. And oh, they're, uh, they're really good. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much all, almost all of my favorite uh, Danish traditional songs are Christmas songs. <laughs> really? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Paul, you were a, a technologist in a previous life or perhaps still are. Um and it's interesting to to hear you talking about sort of taking on the mantle of learning all of this new technology and sort of streaming technologies and things like that. Um, and it just sort of the idea crossed my mind. It's like, wow, what a, what an awesome opportunity this would have been to to have an AR or a VR experience for choirs, right? When you were talking earlier about that feeling of community and sort of trying to recreate um, closeness with one another or trying to create those spaces that felt very safe. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just wondering what else sort of you were talking earlier about, gosh, what's going to come next? Um, I mean, what else do you imagine if you had a sort of magic wand and you can wave and you can fix any problem with technology right now to get choirs back together? I mean, where does your brain go? What do you think? What do you imagine being possible? Um, well, first of all, uh, you know, I think everybody uh, is uh, is trying to figure out what's the best possible way to uh do a virtual choir rehearsal without latency yep. uh, over the internet. But latency is, you know, I don't know what the solution is on that one. I'm not, uh, I'm not current enough on uh, uh, the state of technology, to, but, uh, but I, I would imagine, if I had a magic wand, I would uh, get rid of latency. And I know that, for instance, 5G uh, has uh, uh, the promise of, um, of a, a greatly reduced latency the over uh, uh, 4G, so uh, uh, which would enable, uh, and I've I've been reading uh, articles, you know, years past about uh, the coming technologies would be allowing uh, special skill operators like uh, 
like forklift operator, forklift operators or crane operators or things like that to operate from anywhere if there's no latency and actually work their, their uh, automated uh, forklifts or cranes on building sites all over the world uh in a safe in a safe way if you know if the latency is only a, a few milliseconds then you can actually do that right but um so i know that people are are trying to push for that technology and, and that's going to affect millions of people in the choir world once it gets going it reminds me of like um the early days of like 2004 05 like the compression things that had to be created i mean youtube couldn't have been born unless there were sort of new sort of algorithmic methods to figure out like the delta from one screen to the next so that you weren't using up bandwidth right because then streaming video bandwidth was the huge problem not latency and mm -hmm. i keep just wondering like what's the analog here like it blows my mind that it's like if you were performing a piece of music, you have the blueprint, right? You have a score in front of you. Why couldn't... I mean, the day that AI can be smart enough to sort of predictively sort out latency, if you even give it a blueprint, you're like, this is the music that's about to happen, right? Uh, I mean, it's really interesting. Hmm. I keep wondering. So, I don't know. If anyone's listening out there and wants to figure out how to solve this problem for us, <laughs> you know, however creatively <laughs> possible, it would be amazing. Because then I imagine, like, one of the things we want to talk about, too, is, like, going forward, I mean... Can you imagine any of these things? Like, what opportunities to, uh, are being opened up right now by the sort of new forms of technology, the new things we're all experimenting with? What do you think is going to stick, and what are you most excited about? Well, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, if we can get a, a hold on the, if we can resolve the latency issues uh, in any way that uh, is possible, like you said, uh, through possibly AI or just through uh, higher higher bandwidth technology, then it would enable the online rehearsals. But, and that would be great for a lot of different purposes, but there is no substitute for actually getting together and physically being with your, your fellow uh, uh, singers and, uh, and sharing an experience together. Here's a bit of Paul's fellow singers of the Fredericksburg Karma Corps singing Laudate Dominum by Von Hombo. I think uh, you know. I, I welcome when the new technology would uh, be able to allow choirs to get back together and sing in a safe way, or choirs from all over the world to be able to sing in some sort of interesting, uh, interesting way, where maybe you could have uh, workshop choirs instead of having people assemble together uh, by flying there and and uh, and becoming you know and getting part of the workshop. Uh, they just stay where they are, but they get all the same learning and, and most of the same uh, feelings. So I welcome that. But at the same time, I also welcome just getting back together and and uh, and sensing each other yeah. and right. uh, yeah. 
nothing <laughs> nothing replaces that uh, that human right, contact. Right, right. Yeah. Well, bad news, Paul. We're actually living in a simulation already. This is all <laughs> <the show. laughs> so. It's there's no so ex- realistic. There's no excuse, people. Come on. Why is there latency here? <laughs> I want. I want a better. Yeah, I want a better version of the Matrix. We need to upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to upgrade your OS first yeah. in order Shut. to do that. Sorry, uh, and that's gonna take a while because uh, all the internet's being used for Zoom meetings now. <laughs> so pivoting a little bit, I want to talk about gospel choir. Um, how did you get into you know gospel uh, choir directing, gospel music in general, um, and then how does that spin into gospel music in Denmark for you? Ooh, okay. I'll tell you. This is a this is a fairly long story, but uh, I you know I owe it to gospel music for my whole choir experience actually. Oh, really? um, I was uh, getting my degree in uh, computer science and then I joined some sort of some no audition singing group just to just actually to be able to get some uh, free piano lessons <laughs> and, I, and somebody offered me some piano lessons if I could get some if I could be in this choir and uh, I had no singing experience at that point. So uh, I was in the choir, and the guy that was sitting next to me said, uh, "Hey, you can you can actually carry a tune. You should uh, check out this gospel choir, gospel choir that I'm in." And I said, "Yeah, I'm not anything about gospel music. I don't even know it. I don't I don't want to know it." Uh, so anyway, my time in that choir was very short, just a few months, and then uh, and then the piano lessons stopped and I stopped. <laughs> and, but the guy got my phone number and he kept calling me for like every month for about a half a year. Wow. And, uh, and said, Hey man, uh, come down and visit the gospel choir. You're going to like it. We're going to, we could use somebody like you. And I was like, yeah, it's thanks for calling. No. And, uh, and then this on the sixth call, he said, Hey, uh, uh, gospel choir is having auditions uh, in a few weeks. Uh, you should go uh, sign up. And uh, right at that moment, uh, I had uh, gotten busy at work, and I had no. Uh, I wasn't doing anything musical. I wasn't practicing piano. I wasn't doing anything. And I thought, well, all right, let's see. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> and I had never even considered being in a choir at that point. So I went and checked out the choir. And uh, at that rehearsal that I went to, uh, the choir director was just yelling at the choir all the time uh, for not singing things correctly. And I thought, oh, well, I could I could probably hang with this choir. Maybe maybe I could get in this choir. <laughs> so it wasn't discouraging at all. It was actually encouraging because I was like, yeah, um, I'm not a singer, but this choir is just getting yelled at all the time. So I, I can do that. <laughs> so... So I, I uh, auditioned for the gospel choir, and uh, you know, and luckily they uh, they needed basses really badly. Mm. So well, that's uh, the story of every choir ever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> such an such an advantage. The only uh, uh, yeah. So uh, so anyway, I joined that gospel choir, and that was the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. It's a really good choir, but uh, yeah. I just caught them on a really bad day where they were just getting. They were just getting uh, chastised constantly by the by Terrence Kelly, and uh, so he let me into the choir, and I had a, just a tiny little voice, but I could actually sing, you know, in tune 
and I could remember notes and I could, uh, and I could sing low enough. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so he saw me as sort of a, a little uh, project. Uh, but then while I was in the choir, that's where sort of the real story starts. Um, so gospel choir music is traditionally taught uh, orally. Um, right. The choir director sings something and then everybody sings it back. And uh, and their new technology of the 1990s was everybody had a little tape recorder and they would record what they're supposed to sing and they would listen to it throughout the week to make sure that they didn't forget and then come back and, and keep going from that point. And uh, so I went and bought a tape recorder and I had all kinds of problems with this tape recorder. I could, uh, it would turn on in my backpack and then uh, I would have no batteries by the time uh, rehearsal started. This happened several times. Uh, or I would forget to flip the tape over so that, uh, you know, suddenly it would just cut out right at the time where I actually needed to know what was going on and, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't notice it or, you know, it was just, uh, or the microphone would uh, move or get put in a, or the wrong place and I couldn't hear anything. It was just terrible. I hated, I hated it. So I would go to rehearsal and I would think, okay, how can I actually remember these parts? And I thought, uh, oh, I'm just going to write down the scale degrees because gospel choir music is primarily diatonic. Right. So, yeah. I, uh, so I just wrote down all the scale degrees of the bass parts. And the bass parts were, you know, a lot simpler than the other parts. It was a lot of one, 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 four, five, one, five, five, one. So I would sing, I would just write down all the, all the, court, uh, the scale uh, degrees. And, uh, and then I started to get uh, pretty good at it. And then I could start writing down the full bass part uh, with uh, some extra notation that I used with apostrophes and things that I would use for rhythm. And then uh, as I got better at that, I found out, oh, well, now I'm just sitting around because I always know exactly what my part is because I've written it down. There's like no uh, ambiguity. So I started writing down every section's parts oh. for every song. And so I start, so I wound up with like a, a notebook of a hundred pages just filled with parts of every song. And uh, at one point, uh, uh, Terrence uh, said to one of the sections, uh, uh, he's singing their part and they're singing that that's not the part you taught. That, that. And, uh, and he was like, uh, what are you talking about? That's the part. And then, uh, and then I timidly raised my hand and I said, uh, uh, actually last week, you taught them this part, and then I sang it, yeah. and then uh, and he was like, "Hmm," and uh, and then you're he, out. Uh, Get out of the choir. <laughs> well, he could There's one thing that. choir directors love: it's being corrected in oh, front of the choir. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh, we love it so much. So uh, so anyway, he uh, he found out what I was doing, and he was like, "Wait, do you know every part of every song?" Uh, from every date that I've given it, including changes and what days I changed it and stuff like that, because I attract everything. Uh, and uh, and I and I said, yeah, I know every single part. I've written every single part down on every single day of every single song. And he wow. said, this could be very useful. I need an assistant director who knows this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so uh, so he trained me up to. Uh, be his assistant director and the professional band members of the choir. Uh, one of them uh, encouraged me to actually study music and mm. they, they saw something uh, that was, they saw some potential. So that actually led me into classical music. 
Uh, and basically it was like years and years of ear training, like just nonstop ear training for three hours every week. Yeah. Uh, was my basis for getting into classical music. And uh, so, so that's, that's what gospel choir means to me, actually. And that's one of the reasons that I always feel this sort of uh, loyalty and uh, gratefulness to gospel music, uh, that I want to always uh, make sure I, I keep it in my, my uh, field of vision and, and give back when I can and uh, promote it when I can. Because uh, I see it as a tool. Of course, the primary tool is for spirituality sure. and... Uh, for expression of uh, of Christianity and but but even more importantly uh, expression of uh, expression of spirituality and expression of um, overcoming and uh, surviving and uh, and fellowship and uh, you know going back to its uh, to the origins of course and uh, but I see it also as a tool for togetherness and. Uh, uh musicality and it's you know there's so many there's hundreds of gospel choirs in denmark and uh a lot of the traditional choirs actually have trouble attracting younger members because the younger members would prefer to be in a rhythmic choir like yeah. a gospel choir sure. um but you know, there's plenty of people like me too. And I actually have people in my classical choir that also went through the same stage. They started in gospel choir. I found them through my gospel workshops. And then they found out that I was a classical choir conductor and they would check out the classical choir and they'd say, oh, this is actually even more my thing than the gospel choir. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, what should be one thing or another. I'm saying every kind of choir should try and promote the musicality of every individual yeah, and yeah. let them express themselves musically in the way that uh, fits them best, whether huh. it's gospel music or classical music. Sure, and I don't sure. see any different, I don't see any, like, I, I don't think there should be a distinction or like separate camps or anything. We're all in the choir business. And speaking of the broad complement of musical ranges that any individual is capable of, uh, for people who are listening, our intro music is a great little song called Mr. Puffy, which happens oh, to yeah. come from... Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good segue, Giacomo. That's, you're, you're very good at that. Um, yeah, when we were first, you know, generating ideas for the podcast, and I was looking, I was thinking about what kind of music we wanted to play at the outset of every episode. You know, that would kind of embody the spirit of the of the uh, the podcast without being some piece of classical choral music that everybody knows. I I don't know what made me think of of putting on this CD from a Danish vocal jazz group called Dynamic. Um, I happen to know the one of the guys in that group. His name's Paul Kim. Oh wait, we're talking to you, Paul. Sorry, I'm confused. Um, yeah, yeah, so I came. I just started listening to your CD one day, and I hit play on track. I think it's five, um, and it was this song called Mister Puffy. And as soon as I clicked play. I immediately heard that as the beginning of our podcast and I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, 
this could be so perfect. And that's when I reached out to you and said, can we have permission to use this? And, and you hooked it up. So now it's really nice to have you face to face. We can thank you personally for, for giving us the permission and hooking us up with that song. But, um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about Mr. Puffy and, uh, you know, how it came about that, you know, of it and, uh, your arrangement of it, you know, just tell us a little bit more of that song. That's that's so awesome. It's first of all, it's totally awesome to be uh, uh, some little part of uh, of uh, your terrific podcast uh, 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 to a contributed uh, part of the intro theme. <laughs> so it's, I, I feel uh, really uh, what uh, lucky and honored uh, to to be a part of that in that way. But anyway, the story of Mister Puffy is um, in the 1990s. There was uh, a nice jazz scene in San Francisco centered around not centered but uh, one of the uh, cool places to for the new jazz musicians to do their thing was the up and down club and the up and down club was a club uh, partially owned by christy turlington who at that time was uh, one of the world's most successful supermodels and uh, she's from the bay area and uh, and so uh, a lot of cool jazz people uh young uh and, and some older, but everybody with a really open mind. Uh, I know some of the older guys that uh, played there was Don Cherry and Miles, uh, not uh, Miles Davis. Uh, Don Cherry sounds a little like Miles Davis. Um, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Eddie Marshall on drums and uh, uh, with some young guys like Charlie Hunter was young at that time uh, before he really yeah. made it. And, um, and one of the guys uh, that played there was Avi Bortnick, uh, young guitarist, uh, guitarist and uh, songwriter and uh, so he wrote that song and I got my hands on the CD from some one of my friends who played on that CD and uh, and I talked about the up and down club and uh, and he gave me that CD uh, uh, and I uh, just listened to uh, Mr. Puffy on that one and I just thought man this is this is I mean, the whole CD was pretty awesome. It was just a collection of different uh, artists that played at the Up and Down Club, contributing uh, different songs. And I thought, uh, you know, one of the things that Dynamic actually does is we try and uh, do vocal arrangements of instrumental numbers mm -hmm. and uh, originally instrumental numbers. So Mr. Puffy was one of the ones that just captured my imagination, sort of the same way it captured your imagination. I just thought, man, this is a really hip tune. Yeah. So... Uh, so I wrote it out uh, for voices uh, to try and uh, keep uh, the same spirit, and uh, and there it is. And did you transcribe it, or did he have a score or something for you to use? No, no, I just I I didn't know the guy at that time. I only okay. knew I only had the CD, so I just uh, listened to it a bunch of times, and uh, and then wrote out something that could fit uh, for voices. And then uh, I actually originally wrote it as an a cappella song, and then okay. when I went to uh, Denmark. Uh, I started this band called Dynamic uh, uh, with uh, with a rhythm section, just because you know Dynamic actually does some acapella songs as well. But I felt like it gives it even more uh, variety. It gives it uh, more possibilities if you also have a rhythm section in there. So I gave it to them, and they thought that was pretty cool. So they uh, uh, they learned that, and that's. That's where it is. Oh, and then I got in touch with Avi when we put it on our CD because I wanted to make sure that we could uh, uh, use it with his permission. And he right. said, oh, of course. And he didn't actually have the CD anymore. So he hadn't heard that track in years and years and years. 
Uh, and that CD, you know, nobody actually has that CD. They just right. printed up a few that were for sale, I guess, at the Up and Down Club. Sure. And that's the end of it. So it's not on Spotify. It's not on iMusic. It's nowhere. It only exists in a few people's bedrooms or forgotten CD collections or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And did Avi fill you in? Or maybe this is just a, maybe this is actually a cultural thing. I just don't know. But did he fill you in on who or what Mr. Puffy actually is? <laughs> I didn't ask that particular question, but uh, but if it's any indication, the band, his band that recorded Mr. Puffy was called The Dry Look. And he said that The Dry Look just came from, you know, the commercial where you would have the some hair hair product <laughs> like an old commercial from the 80s or something like dap gel or whatever that yeah, stuff right. was yeah exactly yeah. gives you the dry look and so uh so i'm sure it had some similarly like obscure yeah, <laughs> origin yeah. Volumin voluminous hair <laughs> and if uh, <laughs> the irony yeah, jesus right <laughs> And Paul, if our if our listeners want to uh, get their hands on some dynamic music by Dynamic, uh, where where should they go? Ooh, they got to go to uh, dynamicjazz.dk. The .dk is all the Danish websites. Yeah, dynamicjazz.dk, and our first CD is called "This Is Dynamic," and it's on Spotify and iMusic and and a bunch of streaming sites. It's a great album. I, I listened to it probably three times back to back when I first got it from you when I saw you last. Um, mm. And I, I'm a big fan. And and that website is great because it's also got some videos that you've made of the group singing. Um, and it's just, yeah, a very talented group and great arrangements. I, I think that it's, I think everybody that likes uh, vocal jazz should go check it out for sure. That's, that's it. Uh, what is it again? Dynamicjazz.dk, right? Yep, that's it. Beautiful. Fantastic. Let's send you off with a recording of Dynamic and a live rehearsal of What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, arranged by Kat Gromkiel. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. But before we go... Do you sing in an awesome choir that people should know about? Or maybe know a composer or conductor you'd love to hear on the show? How about any recent or upcoming performances that touched your heart, tickled your fancy, or made you go, hmm? Well, then we would love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com with your thoughts. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Unison Pod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Fragrance checks before rehearsal provided by Chorus Dolores, free of charge and shame.
In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.